So we have uh, several um, special guests with us today. Uh, but before I get to the guests, uh, some of our own are here and they're back with us. And so Shauna and Mason and Shiana and Soren are here. Saying I never, I never got a name. Forgive me. And Jason's already up in Ohio, waiting for you. We'll miss y'all. We love you. And you know, you're anytime you're within distance, striking distance of here, we want to see you again. So please, please come back. But uh, we love y'all and wish for you the best. And we'll continue to pray for you. And we do have uh, several other uh, guests with us as well from the Gideon Camp, from the local Gideon Camp. We have from Northside Baptist Church, Brother Mark Neal. We're so glad to have you with us. God bless you, brother. Good to see you again. And we have the uh, president of the local camp, Jerry and Brenda Parker. God bless y'all. They were in Sunday school today. And, uh, and Brother Mark was too. Glad to have y'all with us. And then, of course, we have Phil and Betty Harper, who are dear friends from way back. And uh, we got to talking this week. We're trying to figure out who joined Northside Baptist Church first. And uh, we think it was, we think it was us, actually. What, so, I, I really didn't know. That's it. <laughs> so it was January of 1991. I remember that. And uh, so today's, uh, the message is a little bit different than what we normally have. It's going to be in two parts. The first part is the Gideon part. We're going to hear about the Gideon's uh, ministry, and we're so glad to have them. And we're going to give you an opportunity to, to give to this ministry as we leave. There'll be an offering plate up here. JC will be manning that offering plate for us. And so we'll have what is known as a retiring offering. So if you would like to help them with their ministry, Please avail yourself of that opportunity as we leave. First part of our service is the Gideon. Second part is a testimonial service. We've never had a testimonial service, but we're going to have one today. So we're excited about that. But Brother Phil, come on. Bless our hearts. Tell us a little bit about the Gideons. Good to have you, brother. Thank you. Love Thank you, Brother Kevin. Yes, we've known each other for some time, and uh, certainly good to be in fellowship with all of you today here at Blackman Baptist Church. Guillermo Zapata received a New Testament while he was a student in engineering school in Peru. He began reading that testament and as time passed and he continued reading from it, God began to speak to Guillermo's heart. And he came under conviction to the point that he accepted Christ as his Savior. Upon graduation, he took a job as an engineer. And he lived in a small village or town that was known to be a stronghold of witches and warlocks. He posted some signs about his village saying, engineer gives free Bible lessons, only to be very disappointed. 
when no one attended. One day when it was raining very hard in desperation, Guillermo was attempting to bail water out of his home when suddenly in ran a dirty, stinky, smelly dog and grabbed that testament from a table and took off down the muddy trail of the village with Guillermo in hot pursuit, hoping to recover his testament. Wouldn't you like to have seen that on video? Well, the problem was the dog ran into the shack of the village witch doctor and Guillermo was not about to enter that cursed place. But about two weeks later, Guillermo answered a knock at his door. And there stood Leoncico Guerrero, the witch doctor, who said about two weeks ago when it was raining very hard, a dirty, stinky, smelly dog came ran, running into my shack and left this testament, this book. And I've been reading from it. I've been reading in the book of Psalms about idols and idol worship. And he said, I've seen your sign saying you give free Bible lessons. Can you tell me more about this book? And of course, Guillermo was privileged to share his faith in Christ, to tell that witch doctor about the saving grace, which we recently sung, the saving grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, and had the privilege of leading Leoncico Guerrero to saving faith in Christ. As time passed, Leoncico introduced his niece to Guillermo. You see, as wonderful as would be the testimony if it ended with the salvation of, of Leoncico, it doesn't end there because subsequent to this, this uh, of Leoncico introducing his niece to Guillermo, I expect the ladies could complete that story for us because they fell in love, got married, and today, Guillermo Zapata and his wife are in ministry there in Peru as Guillermo pastors a church preaching the same gospel which saved him. Yes, God through Jesus Christ saved him, but God uses people, doesn't he? And he used someone like you in a church like this to give the funds that purchased that testament which Guillermo received there in engineering school in Peru. Gideons are Christian business and professional men who, along with our wives in the auxiliary of the Gideons, are an, are an extended missionary outreach of your local church. We've had an unchanging ministry of winning souls to Christ now for some 119 years. Every minute around the globe in a ministry on which the sun never sets, over 120 copies of God's Word are being placed at colleges, jails, schools, hospitals, military induction centers, the offices of physicians, dentists, attorneys, in some cases aboard planes, uh, in some cases aboard planes and ships, and yes, that area for which we're best known, the placement of God's Word 
in hotels and motels. Just this past week, Gideons from our camp have been privileged to give testaments to the, the fire personnel, fire department personnel in the city of Murfreesboro. We uh, place scriptures at MTSU, of course, in the motels and, and other areas that uh, God has opened to us. So today we're placing scriptures in 201 countries at the rate of more than 1 million a week. Some 3 million have been placed even in communist China. As difficult as that is, and our information is that, that uh, the things are tightening up there. So that gives all of us as Christians something to pray for. We have much to pray about. Uh, but we've been able to distribute over 3 million copies there. So printing in 101 languages, uh, we are the world's largest missionary organization, and thus we're able to reach out with you into areas of God's vineyard where others cannot get. I notice we have a lot of children here today. How wonderful that is. And Vacation Bible School upcoming, I think, here week after next. Well, Little Fred Brown was only five when he saw the state patrol car pull away, taking his dad to prison. Fred's mom took the children to visit their dad in prison, and Fred's dad took a Bible, a Gideon Bible that was in his cell, pulled it from under his coat, gave it to his wife, his wife put it under her sweater, and little Fred was scared to death. He thought, here we are stealing from a place they lock people up for stealing. But Fred's mom began reading to her children from that Bible. Fred relates that all of the children in that family became strong Christians, and Fred himself went on to pastor a church there in Ohio. Don't raise your hands, but uh, probably some of you could. Have you ever had the unfortunate experience of having your luggage lost by the airlines? No hands. Well, Herbopolak had that experience. His luggage was lost to the airlines. Nothing to read as he checked into that Boston hotel on business for the graduate school where he was dean. TV was uninteresting and uh, nothing to read except the Gideon Bible. But Herbert Oppelak didn't need to read the Bible. He knew the Bible. He had a doctorate in New Testament studies, and he had undertaken that study so that he could know the enemy. You see, Herbalopolak was an Orthodox, uh, an Orthodox Jew, an ordained rabbi. He had taught at Harvard and the University of Pennsylvania, and yet for some reason, he reached out and got that Bible and began reading from it. He was reading in the third chapter of the Gospel of John, where twice we read in verses 3 and 7, Jesus saying, ye must be born again. And then he went on to read 
that verse that probably we know best of all. Would you quote it with me, John 3, 16? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Dr. Opelak said he was trembling. His eyes were tearing. He didn't know what to do. And it was then that he realized that, that God had fulfilled the Old Testament prophecies. And by faith, Herbert Opelak accepted Christ, was born again by faith into the family of God. And today, Dr. Opelak is on the board of the first rescue mission in Israel, uh, helping to populate Israel with rescue missions and bring to his own people the true and the living Word of God. There are two ways that you can assist us. One, we ask you to pray for this ministry. I'd ask that you pray in your private and individual prayers at home, but also corporately here at church. Pray for the work of the Gideons International. And yes, as Brother Kevin has already indicated, as you leave today, you'll have an opportunity to give. Every cent that you give is used 100% for the purchase and placement of the Word of God. Yes, we have administrative and overhead expenses, but we in the Gideons, through our dues, take care of those expenses. That way, we can truthfully tell you that every cent you give is used to purchase and place copies of God's Word. In only 22 of the 201 countries are Gideons able to fund their own scripture placement. That leaves 179 of them dependent upon us. In 27 out of that 201 countries, the annual per capita income is less than $2,500. A gift of $130 would buy a box of 100 of testaments like this to be placed. A gift of $50 would place this Bible in 10 hotel and motel rooms. $5 would Bible one room. Whatever God would lead you to do, we ask you to do that. There's also the Gideon Living Memorial Bible Program. Uh, maybe Brother Mark can work with Brother Kevin and your church leadership to get the Gideon Memorial Bible display into your church in which you would have these cards where you can uh, memorialize the deceased and honor the living on special occasions. Uh, that, that's available to you year-round. And certainly there in your bulletin, there is considerably more information about, uh, about the Gideons. We hope you'll utilize that, take advantage of it, learn more about the Gideons. Uh, I have been known to suggest, as I will here, you know, out of sight, out of mind. Uh, we don't want to be out of sight and out of mind, so uh, you might, uh, let's see. The ladies might put this on their mirror. We guys will put it on the refrigerator because that's where the ice cream is. Uh, may God bless us as together we continue to serve him. I want all of our Gideons, come on up. Let's, let's, let's just pray over y'all. Why don't y'all come up here? 
so much. We're not going to enter into a uh, time of uh, testimony, and uh, like I said a little bit earlier, this is the first time we've ever done this, so I've been looking forward to this, and we have, uh, I'm going to testify briefly, and then Weston, so this is the lineup, all right, so I'm going to testify, and then Weston, and then the rose among the thorns, Pam, that's you, you're right there in the middle, okay, Pam Rowlett's going to testify. And then Joe, we're so glad to have you with us. We, we know what's going on in your family, and we're just so pleased that you can be with us today. Joe's going to testify, and then Sam, if there's any time left, Sam. <laughs> if there's any time left, Sam. No, I'm, I'm teasing. Um, so that's the order. And, uh, and then we will close. We will have an invitation. So if, um, if you need to respond to the Lord, in faith with any kind of a decision, we'll have that uh, opportunity for you as well. I just want to say thank you for allowing me to be one of your pastors. Uh, these uh, past few years, Brother Ken is one of the pastors here. Brother Cody is homes with Ryan. Ryan is uh, not feeling well today, so we miss him. Uh, but I will tell you that um, uh, this uh, service, this ministry, uh, has been the most meaningful spiritual experience of my life. Um, the Lord saved me when I was young, and I've wanted to serve Him ever since, but this has just been uh, amazing. It has not always been easy, but it has always been rewarding, and, and so I thank you. Just uh, this last week, uh, a man that uh, the Lord used in, in my life uh, went on to, to be with the Lord. He passed away. His name is Pete Adams. And uh, went to church with Pete and his family for um, many, many years. I think about 15 years. And I still remember conversations that I had with Pete that I had 28, 29 years ago. Um, 
one of the most important and difficult spiritual decisions of my life. Uh, we were going through that. This is um, 1990. And I had conversations with Brother Pete. And I still remember what he said and how he counseled me. And I'm just thankful for Brother Pete. And my hope and prayer is that um, sometime in the future, um, 25, 30 years from now, when you look back on your life and you think about spiritual decisions that you had to make and difficulties that you went through, that you'll be able to look back and name someone in this church who was a Brother Pete Adams to you. I pray that. Um, I'm thankful for him. And I'm thankful for y'all. Leslie. You want us to come up there? Please. Because the air's going to kick on your men and not going to be able to hear you. So use the mic. One of my great blessings is that I get to testify from up here basically whenever I want. <laughs> That's a nice blessing. Um, this, the process of uh, being involved with the church plant has been kind of one of the, it's been like one of the most trying experiences in our life, and it's definitely been one of the most rewarding experiences in our life. Um, and I feel like I have, um, you know, as Mary and I are um, growing in our discipleship, and as we're maturing, um, we are grumbling less about the, the, the trials. Um, and I feel like we, we are both were, I don't think it's spilling, it's fine, so just let it go. Um, <laughs> we uh, we, we um, have been kind of in this season where we've been able to see and witness a lot of fruit in the, in the church, and that has been so encouraging. Um, and one of the main reasons why we get to see that is because you guys are faithful to, like, tell us and tell one another, and we, and we hear how God is working in your lives. So thank you. Don't ever stop doing that. Um, God is working. He'll continue to work. So we need to be faithful to continue telling each other. Um, another thing that happened recently, where I feel like God really kind of um, used this to, to kind of grip us and to like refresh us. Um, when, my, uh, when my good friend uh, Tim came a couple, or I guess a couple months ago now, and, and uh, preached, he stayed with us that weekend with me and Mary. It was just him. And, uh, he kind of shared about what he was doing in, in Salt Lake. Um, he's out in Utah, just to bring up the speed. If no one, if you guys weren't here for that, he's, uh, he and his wife and his two kids are out there in um, a small city outside of Salt Lake City. It's called Lehigh, and it's one of the most unreached uh, people groups in all of North America. Um, surrounded, I mean, tons and tons of um, buildings that look like churches everywhere because the uh, Mormons are out there, and obviously it's Mormon country. Um, but they went out there and are aggressively trying to win people over and tell them the true gospel. Um, so you can imagine, though, in Lehigh, that is um, what some would consider a fruitless work um, and a very, very hard work. And as we were talking, uh, one of the things he shared with me is he said, I'm convinced that if anyone had, you know, the same standards of church planning and, and whatnot had been applied to Paul, they would have been like, look at Corinth. Failure, look at Philippians, failure, and just like, look at Galatians, foolish, failure. And they could have just gone down and said, man, God's, <laughs> Paul's not doing so hot. 
Um, and so Paul, uh, or Tim, uh, our friend, was kind of clinging to that, like, hey, it's not always visible uh, what, we're, what we're seeing. We're, you know, we're trying to be faithful. We feel like God has called us to do this. Um, so we're trying to press on in that. And uh, just hearing about what he did week in and week out, um, they are very uh, serious about their time. It's, it means a small fellowship. There's basically Tim and his wife and two other people from Union have gone out there with them uh, and their kids. And they've won two people to the Lord, which is beautiful. And uh, the six adults and the little kids get together in their uh, living room and they open up the Word every Sunday. And they sing, the six of them and the kids, and they um, testify, and they open the Word, and then Tim gives like an hour and a half sermon. <laughs> it's unbelievable. Um, and he, they just do that week in and week out. And I, talking with him made me so grateful for you guys. Um, and one of the, the main ways that I, that I, when I think of Blackman, I, I normally, kind of the images that pop up in my mind are a uh, community group, like sitting in Pam's living room and we're all there and we all have the word open. That's kind of one of the things that fills up. And then the other mental image is up here and just looking at you guys um, and getting ready to hear you sing. And that is such a blessing. Uh, and I shared that with y'all whenever Tim was here. But that's such a blessing that Tim doesn't get to experience week in and week out. And that I, I just take for granted that I get to hear the voices of the saints singing week in and week out, and it's beautiful. I, I wish that you guys could kind of do what, what me and Sam and Amanda and the others get to do up here because it's so beautiful whenever you like step up to, to lead and then you're being led is a, is a beautiful, beautiful thing. And so I want to testify that God used that um, that experience, Tim coming, Tim coming in, uh, getting to hear you guys uh, sing week in and week out has been. That I think that is probably one of the, the most premier pleasures and delights of my life. Uh, so I want to thank you for that. Uh, next. Okay, so, you know, we're always supposed to be ready to give an answer for the hope that we have, so I'm going to give you my answer today. Um, my testimony is going to be a little bit different because I'm going to tell you about my life, and not because I want you to look at my life and say, wow, or ooh, or, but because I want you to see what God's done for me. I wasn't supposed to start crying this early. <laughs> You gotta work your way into it. That's what I'm doing. Okay. I'm gonna hope this doesn't get sloppy. I was born in the north, and I was born into a family of non-believers. And we, but we went to church. They believed there was a God, but I never heard anything about Jesus. Never heard anything about a relationship. Um, 
When I was a year old, my parents divorced. There were four children. And when I was three, my parent, my mom remarried, and she married a man from the south in Tennessee. That's how I got to Tennessee. Um, in 1969, we moved to Tennessee, um, to West Tennessee. And three months after we moved, my dad was killed. So I never actually got to go back and visit. He and his, his younger brother were killed in a car accident. Um, Moving to Tennessee with my stepfather, I was exposed to um, a different faith, if you will. My stepfather was not a believer, but his family was, and they were strong believers. And they welcomed a woman with four children. And when I think about that, boy, that was a big deal. Welcomed a woman with four children into their home. Um, my stepfather's sister was married to a pastor. And one night, it wasn't long after we moved to Tennessee, she knocked on the door. And I remember my stepfather saying, oh, here she comes. Because he knew she was bringing the gospel to us. So she sat us all around the kitchen table. And as she began to share the gospel, she wept. And my sister and I wept with her. And we made a very false commitment because it was all emotional. You know, I was, we, you know, I was seven when we moved here. I was less than 10 at that point. Anyway, uh, that was my first exposure to what the gospel was and the word saved. Um, when you move to the south and you're in the Bible Belt, all your friends go to church. It was 30 miles one way to get to the church that was of my mother's origin. And after a while, she quit taking us. My stepfather never, never did go. My sister was invited to um, go to church with a friend of hers. And one year, she went to the Youth Evangelism Conference in Nashville. You all, I'm sure many of you have been there. Um, and she was saved that night at that that evangelism conference. And she began regularly going to church with her girlfriend. I had an older brother who went to church with what we called our cousins. It was part of my stepfather's family. And before long, he became a Christian. And he began to take me. Um, I remember, I tell this to my children that I teach, that I knew so little about the Word of God that I didn't know that there was a chapter and verse. And when I heard someone say Romans 10, 9, I corrected them because I thought they said something wrong. That's how little I knew of the Word. So I tell my kids all the time, if you, if you can't find it, it's okay. I couldn't find it at one point, and I may not be able to find it tomorrow. But that same scripture, Romans 10, 9, is what called me to faith. That if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it's with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it's with your mouth that you confess and are saved. So one Sunday, we went to church Sunday morning, Sunday night. I don't remember Wednesday. Um, but I remember one Sunday, 
after we had been in church that morning, I felt God's call. But of course, here I'm this little kid in this church, you know, I don't have any parents with me, I didn't know what to do. And I didn't sit with my brother, by the way. He sat closer to the front, and I sat back here with his friends, I guess. Um, and after church, I'll never forget this scene. My brother was making his bed. We had a rule at my house, you made your bed every day. Every day you made your bed. You made your bed every day. You all hear me? You made your bed every day. <laughs> so my brother came home from church. He was making his bed. And I went to his room, and I said, I felt like I needed to do something. Not real sure what I needed to do, but I felt like I needed to do something during the invitation. And he said, and I'm, I'm making up these words because I don't remember exactly what he said, but something like, well, the Holy Spirit must be drawing. So he said, tonight you'll have an opportunity. He didn't try to leave me the Lord. He said, tonight you'll have an opportunity. And, and when they offer the, the invitation, you'll be able to go down. So I'll never forget this. He was 6'4 now, a beanpole at 6'4. He was sitting up front, and the invitation came, and I began to tremble. Oh, my Lord, what am I going to do? Well, he turned around and looked at me, and I knew if I didn't step out, he's probably going to come get me. So I went down, and I uh, answered the call to salvation. I think I was 13. I thought for a long time I was younger than that, but I was adding up the years, and I think I was 13, because just a few months after that, my brother was killed in a car accident. So I learned, I learned early. You know that commercial about bullying in school where it says, you know, in, in math I learned I stink, and in, you know, gym I learned I was pitiful? Well, I don't know why I thought about that, but I thought, you know, experiences of losing people early and broken marriages and, you know, I learned that relationships aren't eternal, aren't forever. I learned that. And that made me, um, it, it still makes me very guarded. Scott has to work real hard sometimes to get in the circle because sometimes I don't even let him in. But whenever I struggle with the thought of, of salvation, um, knowing that that's an eternal relationship, I know I'm a believer because I have the conviction of God on my heart. And, and that's my confirmation. Um, God points me to the fact that he has the Holy Spirit living in me because in Romans 8, 16, it says, the scripture himself testifies with your spirit that we are God's creation. So I, after, after becoming a Christian, uh, I had several years there where I made very poor choices. I had no, no one telling me what to do. I didn't have anyone feeding into my life. And even in all those bad choices, I made one good one, and that was to marry Scott. You know, I didn't, I didn't have a good example of a longevity in relationships until I met Scott, because he has been very loyal, 
and very focused. A lot of people have their dad to look at, and they have that example. I have Scott. I'm so thankful. So thankful. After we got married, I went um, um, to BSF for many years. BSF taught me how to study my Bible. Taught me how to study. I don't know. How come I couldn't get that earlier? But I learned it in BSF. And then, after we had kids, they went to Bible drill. Imagine that. <laughs> and I learned how to memorize verses. Oh, my goodness. I just loved it. Um, and then I had, went through this period of being angry at my mom because I didn't have these verses poured into me when I was young. But you know what? She couldn't teach me what she didn't know. Shortly before my mom's death, which was in 95, she was 59. Boy, that age gets younger and younger. She became a Christian. And I have the benefit of a notebook in my closet where when she was too sick to go to church, she watched a message on television and she would take notes. And sometimes I get that notebook out and I think, man, she was like 58 when she saw these verses and experienced them for the first time. So that's why I am so passionate about feeding the word into these kids. Not on my watch. They're not leaving here without hearing. <laughs> not on my watch. I didn't tell you all this about my life for you to feel sorry for. I told you this because you need to see the power of the Holy Spirit to draw a little kid like me who didn't even know what being drawn was. And he continues to draw me into his word. I'm going to leave you with a verse, with some verses that I'm drawn to real often. It's in 2 Peter, verse 1. His divine power has given every, us everything we need for life and godliness. He's given us everything. Through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. He called us. We didn't call him. Through these he has given us great and precious promises. So that through them you may participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your goodness, I mean, sorry, to add to your faith goodness, and your goodness knowledge, and your knowledge self-control, and self-control perseverance, and the perseverance godliness, and the godliness brotherly kindness, and the brotherly kindness love. For if you possess these qualities, in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But if anyone does not have them, he is nearsighted and blind and is forgotten that he has been cleansed from his past sins. Therefore, my brothers, 
and sisters. Be all the more eager to make your calling and election sure. For if you do these things, you will never fall, and you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Joe Clement, uh, my wife Jill and I have been attending for about two months now. Um, I had to go a long way around because there's so much baby stuff from <laughs> Mary and Katie and Holly. I, we just had a baby two weeks ago, Savannah, and so I should be able to cross that with my eyes closed and have to sleep, but uh, <laughs> still can't. Not that good yet. But um, I wanted to. I guess spend just a few minutes talking to y'all about, I guess, uh, years of, I guess, difficulty that God has brought me and my family through. Uh, um, about six years ago, uh, my dad had a, a traumatic brain injury, and uh, it somewhat of a result from the disease that he had previously. Uh, his disease is called Friedrich's ataxia. It's a neuromuscular disease. Or it's a, yes, neuromuscular disease. Basically, the, uh, the nerves die in your body and basically doesn't cause your muscles to fire. And so the nerves cause a lot of pain as they die and then the muscles begin to atrophy. And uh, it's quite a gruesome disease. Uh, he, he didn't know much about it until just a few years, maybe three or four years before his, uh, his uh, brain injury. And uh, so add those two things together. You've got nerves dying, you know, you know, brain injury, and there's just not, you know, not a whole lot left that he can do. He, he requires 24-7 care from my mom, uh, my two sisters' help with all of that, and we're all quite involved with this care. Um, during all of that time, uh, God really provided for our family, and I, I can't go into all of that in this time, but I remember driving home, and I was home at the time. I had received a, a year-long internship for engineering, and uh, God provided some great things through that, but he allowed me to be home and not have to step out of school uh, when all of that happened. But he was in the, my dad was in the hospital for about nine months. And I was going kind of between my parents' house where I was staying, my work in Nashville, and then visiting my mom and dad in Nashville while he had multiple brain surgeries. Uh, it was about nine months worth of time there. And I remember, driving home one night on Interstate 24, or 440 and 24 meet. I mean, I can remember the place on the road. And I remember praying as everyone else had prayed that, that God would heal my dad. And that he had that, you know, you, if God is all powerful, then why couldn't he? And you begin to really place your hope that God is a healer. And if he's not, 
you know, maybe he's not who he is and who he says he is. And that is wrong to pray. And, and that's, that's everything that everyone around me had been praying. That's what I had been praying. And I remember the place in the road it was like the lights came on. <clears throat> and God said, you know, what, you know, yes, I can heal. But at the same time, if, if I refuse to heal, then what? Do you still have, do you still believe in me? Do you still have faith? And it, it was then that the, the Lord's Prayer, when He taught His disciples to pray, Our Father in Heaven, hallowed be Your name. Thy kingdom come and Your will be done on earth as it is in Heaven. That, you know, perhaps suffering was part of God's will. And perhaps that, you know, that had a high amount of meaning for His creation. And to pray, I've chosen kind of a weird time, I guess, you know, with the birth of my baby, you know, in the last two weeks to choose to study a topic of suffering. But I've recently uh, finished a book, and uh, there's, there's a, a logic statement in that that I want to read to y'all. Uh, being an engineer, I guess logic means quite a bit to me. But the line previous to the logic statement is, do you play God and demand that evil be removed at every occurrence. Because that's asking for the logically impossible if love is to be supreme. Because, and this is the logic statement, I'll, I'll kind of piece it together. But it says where there is the possibility of love, there has to be the reality of freedom. Because where there is the reality of freedom, there's the possibility of pain. It wouldn't be much if I went home to my new baby and I pushed a button and she said, I love you, Dad. Or if, you know, she was able to push a button on me and I say, I love you, baby. Or the same with my wife. We aren't programmed to love. We are programmed to choose to love. We have that freedom. And so without that freedom, love can't exist. But without that freedom, without God giving us that freedom, or, or because God gave us that freedom, there has to be the, the possibility of pain. We have to, God gave us the choice to, to reject and choose Him, to love or not love. And so pain comes with that freedom. But where there's the reality of pain, there's the need for a Savior. And where there's a need for a Savior, there's the possibility of redemption. And that's what, you, when, you, when you look into the, into the book of Job and his great suffering, Job lost everything. Uh, uh, to give just kind of a breakdown, in, in one day, in, in one fell swoop chain of events, uh, he lost his children, his house, all of his wealth, uh, ten children, and just, just everything. He was stripped down. His health was taken from him. And, and, and Job falls on his knees and says, you know, naked I came into this world, naked I'll leave. And I bless the name of the Lord. And that's all he could do. And God, three of his friends came along, and they did good until they started speaking. <laughs> and, 
and, and that's kind of where they went wrong. And I'll, I'll hit on that in a minute. But when, when God comes along then and starts to speak, God says, Job, this world I created, I basically kind of in what we just read, God, God built in suffering into it. He built in because he wanted us to love him. He wanted us to choose to love him. And, and Job, after, after you know, questioning God and questioning why, 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 God comes along and says, Job, where were you? You know, you could have given me counsel before I created this world and told me how to do it. So where were you? Where were you when I set the foundation of the world? And, and uh, through all of that, Job comes along at the end of all of that. And, and God kind of takes him out of, of kind of that misery. God, where, you know, Job, where were you? You know, you could have counseled me to make you differently, but you didn't. And, and that is what it kind of means to be human. You know, God could have created a different world for us. He could have created a world where there was no suffering, but we wouldn't be in it. We wouldn't exist. And so... So I, I guess when you hit suffering, don't, don't wish for it to go away. Pray for strength. Pray for faith. Pray for hope. And God will give you those things. And part of that too is, is that God doesn't give you those things because of suffering. He gives you those things through suffering. And that's kind of the, you know, another statement about God. Could God have forgiven our sins without dying on the cross? I would think that he could if he's all-powerful. That he could have come up with a different way. And so it wasn't because of our suffering, because we turned from him, that, that he chose to, to not forgive us without dying on the cross. It, was, it, was, it, it wasn't because of suffering that he chose to forgive us. It was through suffering that he forgave us. He came down and suffered what we suffer as humans. He, he suffered... Through suffering, He forgives us and He redeems us. And I think that's also what we experience in life is that through suffering, uh, we find God. And that's what I guess I, I wanted to tell you all is uh, to kind of shift it over to, to our responsibility as far as, uh, you know, when other people are in suffering. Because in Matthew 5, God says, you know, blessed are the poor in spirit because theirs is the kingdom of God. God gives, in a sense, things about his kingdom to the people that are broken. And in Matthew 25, uh, Jesus says, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then we will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right hand and the goats on the left. So this really isn't part of your eternal salvation. But there's something eternal in it. Then the king will say to those on his right hand, Come, you who are blessed by my father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. And he says all these things about suffering. I was hungry. You gave me food. I was thirsty. 
you gave me drink. I was a stranger, you welcomed me. I was naked, you clothed me. I was sick, you visited me. I was in prison, you came to me. The righteous will answer and say, Lord, when do we see you hungry and feed you? Or see you a stranger and welcome you, or naked and clothe you? When do we see you in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these my brothers, you did it to me. And to bring that back to Matthew 5, it says that blessed are the, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. Blessed are those who bring peace. It's, it's not something that is part of your eternal salvation, because only Christ can give you that. But there's something eternal in meeting people in suffering. Because just like Jesus said, they have the kingdom of God. There's something different that you learn there. And blessed are you when you bring peace to those situations. Because that's when you most look like me, most look like my child. Um, so it's, it's through suffering that, that God reveals himself and that's what Job in the end says when, when basically God goes through all these things where, where was your counsel when I created suffering where was your counsel when I gave when I created this world the way I did when I gave you existence because of suffering Job said, I have heard of you from the hearing of the ear, but now my eyes see you. It was through his suffering that, that I, I believe that God kind of reveals himself, that, that you learn some things about God that you cannot learn. And that's, that's one thing that my dad, through all of this, has, has taught me. It's, it's funny that you would think that a man that can't speak anymore, that can't eat, that can't take care of himself, that can't move, that really does not recognize, you know, people when they walk in the room, doesn't really acknowledge them anymore. Uh, something that I learned from, from reading uh, again was a quote by uh, John Milton John Milton was a poet and a writer and he found out he was going blind and he wrote this he says when I consider how my life is spent how the light of my eyes is spent ere half my days in this dark world and wide and that one talent which was writing that one talent which is death to hide is lodged within me useless. Though my soul more bent to serve there with my maker and present my true account, lest he bidding chide. And then he writes, Does God exact day labor, but the light denied, I fondly ask? In other words, does God demand that I work, continue writing even though I can't even see to write? The patience to prevent that murmur soon replies that God does not need either man's work or his own gifts. Who best bear his mild yoke, they serve him best. God's state is kingly, 
Thousands at his bidding, speed and post, speed and post, or land and ocean without rest. But they serve who only stand and wait. To be a servant of God isn't to do at all times. It's also to be a servant of God. It's to stand and wait. And through my dad's inability to do anything, in a sense, God's spirit has poured out of him in an overflowing way that, that God has filled my family and me with things that we couldn't have found, couldn't have seen, just without that suffering. Um, I think I'll end this with a, a prayer request. Uh, <laughs> it's been a busy three weeks for my family. We had a birth two and a half weeks ago with my daughter. My youngest sister got married. And uh, just yesterday, my closest relative, my aunt, died, my dad's sister. And uh, she was one of the few people left that uh, that could really, I guess, get my dad outside of, outside of the shell that he has now. Kind of bring him out and uh, finding the way to tell him that is still very unclear to my family. Uh, but just like Job's friend, it isn't speaking the wrong message. And just like God in the book of Job, it's not his speaking that brings comfort. It's simply knowing that God is there. And it's simply knowing that I guess the church is there. And uh So, uh, you know, pray that when we tell him that, you know, the, the pain that still exists, you know, with me seeing my dad, I can't do it without crying still, six years. And uh, just pray that we can be there for him to tell him that. And pray that we can be there to uphold his spirit from going back into a darker place than it is now. We can give him light. Well, Brother Joe has asked us to pray, and uh, we're going to hold Sam for next week. Gentlemen, you've already gone all the way back there. Sit down with you on that, brother.